This is Industry Matters, powered by VGM, a post-acute healthcare podcast about community, connections, and belonging. VGM is a member service organization serving durable and home medical equipment providers and manufacturers. VGM also has communities for respiratory, complex rehab, women's health vasectomy, home accessibility, therapy, and orthotics and prosthetics industries. With VGM, you're part of something bigger. In today's episode of Industry Matters, Rhonda Burmester, Senior Director of Payer Relations at VGM, interviews Dr. Mayer Krieger, Professor of Medicine at Yale University School of Medicine, about the body metrics circle ring and the impact COVID-19 has had on sleep. Welcome to Industry Matters. I'm Rhonda Burmaster with VGM, and today I have the privilege of interviewing renowned sleep doctor, Dr. Mir Krieger, and one of our VGM vendor partners, Body Metrics. I'd like to start by having Jim with Body Metrics introduce himself. Jim? Hi, Rhonda. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining. Uh, my name is Jim Gilkison, and I run sales for Body Metrics. I've been in the home healthcare industry for over 20 years starting with uh, Aircept Corporation, selling oxygen concentrators, and very excited to be part of Body Metrics. And this is a great opportunity for us to talk about improving patient compliance and clinical outcomes with remote patient monitoring. Thank you. Um, so we're gonna just get right into it because I'm excited about my interview today. I was so honored to be able to partake in this podcast because normally I'm the one answering a lot of the questions and now I get to ask the questions, especially with my respiratory therapy background. And I get to interview um, Dr. Krieger, who is well known in the sleep physicians world, sleep medicine world. And I've done some research on Dr. Krieger and wow, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I've learned a lot and I'm con- going to continue to learn from him as um, I found a lot of his information very intriguing, especially with my background. Um, so I did recently watch a few of his YouTube videos where he talked about sleep and how sleep is I'm important because I do have sleep issues myself. So I, I, I was taking notes and learning um, some things that I can help myself. But I wanted to just, just give Dr. Um, Krieger a few moments just to say hello and give a little bit of back, about his background. Hi, uh, so my name is Dr. Mayor Krieger. I'm a professor of medicine at Yale University School of Medicine. And I just realized that I graduated from medical school exactly a half century ago. I graduated in, in, in 1971, my God. Um, anyways, uh, I've been doing sleep medicine for about 40 years. And I've seen, uh, I'm going to say somewhere between 30 and 40,000 patients. So uh, uh, I'm, I, I love what I do, and I love seeing patients, and I love uh, teaching. Well, and that makes sense, because I did read something about you, about your first name. And Mira is a, is a Hebrew name, meaning bright light, or he who brings light. And you see yourself as bringing light in the form of knowledge on many fronts, and especially in the sleep medicine world. Um, and I don't even remember where I read that at because I did some extensive research on you and reviewing some of the books you have written, textbooks and other books about sleep. So I was very intrigued by all of this. And just without even knowing you other than just meeting you today through this podcast, I thought, wow, what a cool doctor, what a cool guy that I would like to know and, and talk to more about about the sleep world and 
and uh, pick his brain. So thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's, it's going to be a pleasure. Perfect. So I want to start with um, one of the reasons why we're here is to learn more about um, one of the products that we started carrying, carrying at VGM for a lot of our ven- uh, members, um, and we partnered with Body Metrics. And I'm curious, what attracted you to the Circle Ring? Well, the uh, what attracted me to the Circle Ring was the there were several things. I have been interested in oximetry for a very long time. I've written about oximetry. I used oximetry um, extensively in studying patients. And I understood the problems of oximetry as currently done using pulse oximeter uh, devices, especially in, in, in people who have a lot of pigmentation in their skin. And um, so when I, was, when I first had contact with Bottometrics and, and the Circle Ring, the first thing I wanted to know was show me the validation data and show me that you have validated this in dark-skinned people. And I was able, they showed me the data. They showed me photographs of how they collected the samples. Uh, they showed me the, the raw data. And I was very impressed because you can't get that kind of data looking at the individual data points from the companies out there. And there have been a lot of articles just in the last year that kind of highlighted the fact that pulse oximeters, the the traditional pulse oximeters, may actually overread values in darkly pigmented people. So I became interested because I saw the data, and I was also interested in the fact that the form factor, mainly a ring, was very unobtrusive. It you know it sat on 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 the finger. It collected data. The data ended up somehow on the, on the person's smartphone, and the person was able to get reasonable looking data. So that's what attracted me to it. I think um, I think the public needs to know much more about oximeters. Why? Because of the pandemic. Millions of people bought oximeters that are probably that may not be very accurate. And, and they bought oximeters because they, they wanted to screen themselves um, for um, low blood oxygen levels. And, and many of them bought these devices. And it turned out that, you know, luckily most people who bought them never got sick. So they didn't really need them. But um, uh, the Circle device is one that sounded like and it looked like, and I tried it myself that it seemed to be pretty accurate. You are right, Dr. Mir. Um, there are so many devices out there that goes with any equipment, right? That that's out there that is um, available to the public, but you have to be careful what you get, right? What you buy. So um, I'm always about following those slogans of you get what you pay for. So just be very careful with, with, with those products. Um, but you know, with that even, a lot of the um, a lot of people are into the smartwatches, and these smartwatches do a lot of monitoring. I don't have one myself because I call that a ball and chain because that means I'm attached to something at all times, and I don't like that. But I'm one of the unusual ones 
there are other people that really like the data and like to have um, their heart rates monitored or even if it's their pulse oximetry or um, their activities. So what is, I guess, better about the circle ring than some of the smartwatches that are out there that I know there's... Well, yeah. Yeah. So the smartwatches are smart about some things, right? So the the latest version, the one that I'm most familiar with is is the Apple uh, uh, smartwatch, you know, the iWatch. It's an excellent device, but it has uh, some problems. It's very good at, for example, at recording an EKG, uh, a, a rhythm strip. And it's very good at that, and it can detect atrial fibrillation. And I've had patients who actually came to medical attention because their Apple smartwatch told them they had atrial fibrillation. In last year's watch, they, uh, Apple added an oximeter. Now, the uh, people who think that the oximeter actually records continuously, uh, it doesn't do that. It, 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 it can create, it, it can generate a measurement about, F, about every 15 minutes or so, so it's not continuous. It takes it about 15 uh, to 30 seconds to make a measurement. And if it measured continuously, the battery would die very, very quickly because uh, in order to make a measurement, it has to shine a light, analyze the light that comes bouncing back, and that actually uses up power. So the current Apple Watch is simply not designed for continuous uh, saturation monitoring. And most people don't know that. Uh, and that, that is a major difference between the Apple Watch, the way it measures blood oxygen level, and the circular one, which um, at least at night, it, it measures it continuously. No, I can see that and see where people don't always understand that because if you don't have that knowledge or that background, then how would you know? Right. So it's important yeah. for them. To so, it. yeah. So the, the other problem with the Apple watch is that it, it measures blood oxygen on, you know, where you wear your, your watch, which is, which is at your wrist on the, uh, and on the surface of your wrist. And there isn't a, a huge amount of circulation there. So, so very often the measurements may not be very, very accurate, and they probably are not all that accurate in darkly pigmented people. The circular watch, on the other hand, uh, it measures saturation um, in, in an area where there's fairly decent circulation. There, there are tiny little blood vessels that pulsate. Uh, um, in the area where the circle actually does its measurement. So that is another difference between, uh, you know, the ring form factor and the, and the watch form factor. And to my knowledge, there isn't another ring um, device that actually measures oxygen saturation. I don't think so either that I have seen. Now, I did try the, the ring out as well um, to, to test it out and, and uh, see how it worked for me. But would you say there are any conditions or are there any particular conditions that, uh, for, from patients that would benefit from wearing one of these rings? Well, I think, um, I think anybody that has a problem where they might have 
hypoxemia might be a good candidate to have um, a ring. And uh, so this would be um, patients, for example, who have COPD and interstitial lung diseases, heart failure, uh, and certainly patients that have sleep breathing disorders. And one of the things that we learned a long, long time ago is that, uh, for example, if you have COPD and you make measurements during the daytime uh, when the person is wide awake and alert, you're going to get a certain value. And you can't extrapolate from the daytime uh, values to what happens during sleep. So, for example, patients with COPD, they typically can have very dramatic oxygen desaturations during rapid eye movement sleep. And you can't detect that or predict that uh, based on a single measurement, especially done during the uh, daytime. I would agree. And it is, it is pretty fascinating when you're looking at the data that you can gather from the continuous monitoring, just as I did, especially this, the sleeping part of it, um, to wake up and then look at those results to see where, what you did during your sleep. It's pretty fascinating. Um, but from what I've read in some of the studies, and I think you mentioned this earlier, that patients tend to be more compliant with wearing this, this um, circle ring. Do you, what do you believe this is due to? Is it because maybe they have some um, they have real time information they can look at you know, with the data, or what makes you think? Yeah, I mean, part of it is real. You know, it's it's online information. In other words, they they can get. So, if a person, for example, sleeps with a circle, and let's say they have sleep apnea, and they want to know whether this, this their CPAP machine is taking care of, of their apneic episodes and, and their saturations is, is adequate, um, you know, they can wake up in the morning and they can get sort of a readout of what the saturation was the entire night. And, and that is a tremendous advantage uh, for patients. And so a lot of patients, for example, who are using CPAP, I think would benefit from having um, uh, you know, this type of measuring device. I would agree. As, as many CPAP users should be wearing this, if not all, just, just to, to have that, mo that monitoring of their oxygen levels. So it's very yeah. key information. We are excited to announce that the 2021 HMA News and VGM and Associates Financial Benchmarking Survey is now open. This survey is open to all HME providers. Those who complete the benchmarking survey will get full access to the complete report at no charge, as well as a chance to win 50% off registration for the VGM Heartland Conference, September 13th through 15th in Waterloo, Iowa. Don't miss out. The more submissions there are, the more accurate picture we get of the HME industry. So make sure you complete this survey by Friday, July 9th. To complete the survey, visit hmenews.com forward slash benchmark. We thank you in advance for taking time to complete the survey so we can have a better picture of the entire HME industry. Again, please fill out this survey by Friday, July 9th and go to hmenews.com forward slash benchmark. So because you have a, an extensive background in, in, this, in the sleep disorder world, um, how has the pandemic impacted sleep? Oh my gosh, uh, it's had a dramatic impact on, on sleep of the general population. 
and it's had a dramatic impact on the sleep of patients who have actually been infected uh, uh, with COVID and who have survived the, the acute infection. So it's had very, very major effects. Like very early on in the pandemic, as a matter of fact, uh, in, in North America, especially in the New, in, in the New England area and uh, the state of New York, uh, very early on, it already became apparent in April. Okay, so the, the first case in, in, in the U.S. Um, was in January. Um, and, and, uh, and very, very early on, people were complaining who had no infection whatsoever. They were complaining of nightmares and they were complaining of insomnia. And there were things all over the social media, uh, you know, talking about this. You know, I'm having nightmares that I've never had before. I'm having weird dreams that I've never had before. I can't sleep. So there was a, a and we don't know all of the reasons for this, but people were under a huge amount of stress. Um, sort of a measure of how much stress there, there was with relationship to sleep there was a very big increase in, in the use of hypnotics and antidepressant-type medications between February and March of 2020. This was even before the pandemic was a big deal in, in, in North America. By then, it was already raging in parts of Europe, and there were all these horrible scenes on, on, on television. Um, so once the pandemic got bad in, um, in, in North America, we were starting to see a lot of uh, problems with sleep in healthcare workers who are now working extremely long shifts under a huge amount of stress. And especially early on with many of their patients dying because uh, we really were not good at treating uh, uh, what was happening with COVID very, very early on. And some of the, um, uh, I've had contact with care, you know, with healthcare uh, personnel who a year later still have problems with their sleep that started during the time they were taking care of the first batch of, uh, of, of patients. So it's really been a huge, huge problem. So in addition to those pe people, in other words, none of those people had infections. As you know, there, there have been millions and millions of people world, worldwide uh, who, who've been infected uh, with COVID. In the U.S., there have been millions and millions. And probably somewhere about 80% of people who survived COVID have some lingering symptoms. And, and the symptoms fall into sort of different buckets. And some of the buckets are neurological buckets uh, where sleep is going to be affected. Uh, and, um, you've probably heard that a lot of patients have said they're fatigued, um, they have cognitive impairment, they have headaches. So these type of symptoms are very, very common. Another type of patient complains of shortness of breath. About 30% of patients who've recovered from hospitalization for COVID um, who had like lung problems, about 30% of them have long, seem to have long-term 
um, abnormalities in, in, in their lungs that you could see on imaging studies. And we don't know what's going to happen long term uh, to these patients. Many of them complain short of breath. And I have seen patients like that who actually wake up short of breath and who happen to have an oximeter. And y yikes, their blood oxygen level is much lower when they wake up. And there are some people who, um, uh, you know, knowing that they're going to get short of breath or they may have episodes of stopping breathing that they become aware of. We've had patients who actually have developed a fear of falling asleep. In other words, they've gotten COVID, they've gotten real sick, they recovered apparently, but now they're left with a fear of falling asleep because they think uh, or their brain thinks that something terrible is going to happen to them when they fall asleep. So we've seen in our clinic a lot of post-COVID patients in our sleep clinic, and we don't know how long uh, these patients are, are, you know, how long they're going to be um, symptomatic. This is one of the really big unknowns right now. Well, I totally would agree with you. I, I get the opportunity of talking to many home medical equipment companies across the country, which are our members. And it's amazing the stories you hear with the patients that they're dealing with or their staff that they've dealt with that's gone through the virus or just the stress of it, not maybe not having the virus itself, but the stress of, of the pandemic. Um, even myself, including, I didn't have the virus myself that I know of, but the stress of it, you're, you know, I was one of those that didn't sleep well, um, yeah. during that time. And it was, a lot of it was the stress because there's so many unknowns and things that were going on. And I don't know that it, we've any, even recovered from that. I did, when I was learning about you, researching you, I did one thing, I guess I didn't really recognize or maybe remember from my, my studies as an RT going through school was how, if you don't get the, if you don't get proper sleep night after night, so your sleep is lacking night after night, how that just builds up and makes life, your body, things much, much worse, right? So it just yeah. keeps stacking. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts to that? Well, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it, everything becomes a vicious circle. In other words, if you're not sleeping well um, and you're not sleeping enough, and, and let's say you're short half an hour, hour, hour and a half every night, you build up a sleep debt. Your, your mental performance decreases, uh, uh, you know, so you can maybe focus on something for five minutes, trying to focus on something for 20 minutes or an hour, forget it. You're not going to be able to actually do it. Uh, the reaction time uh, uh, diminishes. Uh, it doesn't diminish. It gets worse and worse. In other words, you don't react well or quickly enough. And, and so, um, and then there are all these other things that are associated with a lack of sleep. Um, we know that uh, people who don't sleep enough are more prone to develop cardiovascular disease, for example. Uh, the, uh, you know, their immune system becomes slightly abnormal to the point where um, they, um, you know, if you vaccinate someone who's sleep deprived, we, uh, there's some data obtained during flu season that um, that the immune response to the vaccine is not as good if, if you are sleep deprived. 
Um, and so, um, and, and, and people that have a painful condition, sleep deprivation leads to a lowering of, of pain threshold. In other words, if you have a painful condition and you're sleep deprived, it's going to hurt more. So there are, there are just so many negative uh, things that happen with sleep deprivation. Uh, and they kind of build on each other. That, you know, th that, is, that is the problem. Um, you know, and, and, and so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of a patient, um, you know, that I, uh, you know, that I had. So this was a, a patient who developed very early in, in the pandemic, was actually last, uh, at, at the end of last March, developed COVID, was hospitalized for, I think it was like two or three weeks. He had significant hypoxemia. He was treated with high-flow oxygen, and he was sent home, right, with high-flow oxygen. And, um, and, and, you know, I spoke to him several times after he was sent home, and he was actually, at this point, living in another state. He had gone back to because he knew he wasn't going to be working for quite some time. He was supposed to be working from home now. Um, uh, and so he was living in a different state. And he, his sleep was terrible. He, he was afraid to go to sleep. He was on oxygen. And during the daytime, he was short of breath, had difficulty walking. And I remember asking him, I said, like, you know, what's your blood oxygen doing when you're sleeping? He says, I'm afraid to take my blood oxygen level because I, I think it's going to be really low. So, you know, and he was taking, he was on two liters of oxygen a minute. And, and I said to him, you know, you got to measure your blood oxygen because maybe that's playing a role in some of your symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so he finally did. And, and indeed, he was hypoxic during sleep. We jacked up, um, you know, his oxygen flow. And he slept better. And he felt much, much better during the daytime. So, you know, I mean, so this is one of these situations where you need the information in order to adequately treat the patient. Absolutely. And, you know, when I hear patients like that, because I have parents that tend to be a little bit stubborn too, in the sense that they don't want to know some of the information, but like you said, you yeah. have to know the, what's going on with your body. So you know how to treat it. So you feel better. If you let it go, the longer you let it go, things get worse. Right. So yeah. So important. And that's where the, the circle ring would come in handy. Have that continuous monitor on and they would know what's going on with their oxygen levels while they're sleeping. One thing I also learned when I was actually watching one of your um, speeches that you were doing with some groups is that um, it's about napping. And I, I've always told them, I've always said I'm not a napper because when I wake up from taking a nap, I I'm done. Like I am, I'm done. I'm worthless basically. So I'm, I just avoid naps even though I'm exhausted. But by what I learned was maybe I'm taking too long of a nap. It should just be a short, quick, what, what people term it as a power nap, I guess. And hopefully that would refresh me. And I'm, I'm going to certainly try that because it, to me, it's worth a shot. So um, what would you like to add about that? How, how naps are today? <laughs> Um, you know, if someone if someone is really sleepy, there's nothing that treats sleepiness except for sleep. Coffee is very temporary. There are drugs out there that, again, are temporary, but it certainly 
it, it's not something that one would use um, in someone who's simply sleep deprived because of lifestyle. Um, so napping can be extremely refreshing if it's kept short. And by short, we're talking 15 to let's say 35, 40 minutes tops. And, and the reason why you're wasted when you have a very long nap is that you end up going into slow wave sleep. And you don't want to go into slow wave sleep during um, because you're going to wake up groggy, right? So you want the nap to be short and, uh, and it'll give patients a second wind. Yes. And when I, when I watched that um, presentation you were doing, I'm like, that's, that's, I think that's my problem. I would lay down and take a nap and nap till I woke up <laughs> instead of limiting myself. So um, I'm certainly going to try that. And I believe there's other countries that are actually allowing that during the work day. So hopefully. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are there are a lot of companies now that actually encourage people to take a nap if they're tired. You know, and they have pods uh, right in the workplace where people can can go and nap. And, and, and so one of the strange things that has happened with COVID, I mean, we have focused on how bad things were. A lot of people are actually sleeping more during COVID if they're working from home. Uh, in other words, they have a, a longer opportunity to sleep. They're, they're not commuting anymore. And so a lot of people have actually increased their sleep time by half an hour to an hour just because they're now working from home. Now, the downside of that is that a lot of people have put on a lot of weight during, uh, during the pandemic. And they put on a lot of weight during the pandemic because their physical activity has gone down. But also, whereas, you know, when they were working somewhere else, they wouldn't necessarily have like three regular meals a day. They may have two very small lunch. All of a sudden, they're, they're having a nice breakfast, a nice lunch, and a nice dinner. So a lot of pe people have put on weight uh, and they, you know, and they have been sleeping more. Yeah. Well, the refrigerator is much closer when you work from home than when you're in the office. So I can understand that I work from home. <laughs> um, uh, but hopefully those VGM senior manager or senior administration that's listening to this podcast will hear about it's OK to allow naps at work. And maybe we can get some things set up in the office to allow that um, because you said it. And what you say is is important and you know because you've do, you've done sleep for so long for 40 plus years and you continue to to teach it so we appreciate that one last question i was going to um, mention was and i don't know if if you know about this or maybe jim would pipe in but um it's about the kaiser permanente study that um body metrics gets to do with kaiser on the circle ring and that's exciting because a lot of us in the healthcare industry know who kaiser is and and the um, value they bring to our industry. Um, but I did want, just wanted to speak a little bit about that and what you know about the study that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't have specific details about that, but I think it's a great thing when, when someone uses technology and, and actually goes ahead to validate what they are using. And because and, and, this type of technology could be wonderful to follow patients 
because it allows the patients to follow themselves. And, and this is sort of an era that, uh, that COVID has sort of led us into where patients are going to be playing a much bigger role in their own medical management. And getting data is going to be wonderful. And, and uh, at least for, for people like me, you know, if, so if a patient phones me and says, you know, my blood oxygen has been too low, they could send me the data, I can look at it, and I can do something about it. So that would be a great thing. But the other thing about, about this, you know, about the consumer technology world, right now we're, we're calling it consumer technology because things are being sold directly to consumers. And chances are that's going to be the wave of the future. And, and as devices become much more sophisticated, uh, you know, we're going to be able to probably measure all sorts of things with non-invasively that we never dreamt of um, just three to four or five years ago. Uh, you know, um, there are some devices on the market now that can measure, uh, for example, blood glucose not non-invasively. And, and that's a wonderful thing. And I'm sure that one day a ring-like device, maybe the circle, is going to be able to measure uh, that. And there may be other things that these devices will be able to measure because the, these devices are really, you know, so a set of eyes that is looking into the body. And we just have to figure out how to use these eyes in order to detect the information and, or find the information that we need. Development of these things is critical. Validation of these things is very, very critical because it's gonna, these things are going to play a big role in the, in the future of all of medicine. I would agree. You know, with, the, with the role I play at VGM on the um, reimbursement regulatory side, it is, you've seen the technology and, and even the payers adapt to allowing more technology within the home, whether it's monitoring Patient, patient monitoring, or even simple as telehealth, right? How, yeah. how far that's come. So it's exciting to see what's in the future. And I agree, it's so important to allow this technology to be studied and, and continue to advance to keep these patients at home and make, make, make people smarter about their condition, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we're going to wrap up here. I do really appreciate um, being able to interview you and, uh, I really enjoyed learning about you as I was preparing for this interview. And I'm excited to learn more about you and read some of your books. Actually, they're on my book list. So I'm, I was so excited once I got to really know who you were. And um, I thought, wow, I, I, I'm honored. I get to interview this doctor. This is amazing. So thank you for your time today. But before we go, even I wanted to ask Jim, if any of our members wanted to learn more about the circle ring, how do they find out um, about this ring or where do they go to learn more? Well, thank you, Rhonda, and thank you very much, Dr. Krieger. That was wonderful. For, uh, for Body Metrics, you can call us at 844-744-8800, or you can email us at info at bodymetrics.com. And we have a nice uh, agreement with uh, VGM. Um, we're, we're really looking forward to um, working with this partnership and getting the word out about the ability to better monitor your patients remotely. So thank you. You're welcome. And thank you. And 
Um, we do appreciate all of your time today. Again, Dr. Krager, I can't thank you enough. And I look forward to um, my continued research on, on you. <laughs> so thank you. All right. It, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Industry Matters. Make sure you never miss an episode by visiting bgm.com slash Industry Matters Podcast or following Industry Matters on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Stitcher.